Legacy CRM platforms have made you compromise for far too long. With HubSpot CRM platform, you don't have to choose between enterprise tools that are powerful or easy to use. It gives you both, so your marketing, sales, and service teams can align with ease, accelerate sales, and anticipate every customer need. Finally, there's a CRM platform that helps you run better so you can grow better without complexity ever getting in the way. Learn more at HubSpot.com. Recorded live.
straight bride, man, woman, child. I'm talking about nation building. I'm talking about raising children. Straight bride, man, woman, child. I'm talking about nation building. I'm talking about raising children. Straight bride, man, woman, child. Yeah, straight bride, man, woman, child. Yeah, straight bride, man, woman, child. I'm talking about nation building. I'm talking about raising
we got the roll caller. We got uh, Brother Calls. You see, I see Brother Tim here, Sister Makia, Brother Minkara, uh, the two young ladies from Connecticut, Sister Makia, and our Brother Jabari from California. I, I think we, we're waiting for uh, one, one uh, two other brothers right now to get on in, but we, we pretty much filled up the class, and plus we got some extra people called in. Okay, you got uh, Brother Griff. Is he there? Uh, Brother Griff hasn't tuned in yet, but you know he he normal strong here, so uh, he he might be running a little late, but I know he'll he'll tune in to the class. Okay, that, that's great. So we got uh, in attendance. We got uh, our regular students uh, numbering how many, uh, Brother Bourne? Uh, we have everybody except two, Brother Griff and Brother Hayru, right now. Uh huh. Okay, so you got a total of how many?
But we have to first know ourselves first. Now, let's go back. Who are we as a human being? Who are you as an individual human being who came out of your mother's womb? As your mother and father had a sexual intercourse. Your father's sperm impregnated your mother's egg. Therefore, set in motion the nine months of incubation to bring forth human life. The human life that was incubated for nine months is you and I and seven billion humans walking this earth. There are estimated to be seven billion humans walking this earth of all races, creeds, and color. All humans got here on earth the same way that you got here. Their mother and father had an intercourse, sexual intercourse. The father's sperm impregnated the mother's egg, thus causing the nine months of incubation that brings forth human life. All human life that has come forth through the body of a female is a miracle. Uh, you came attached to your mother's umbilical cord. That umbilical cord was cut to separate you from your mother. That umbilical cord served as a conduit to bring water, food, and air, enabling you to grow from nine months of incubation inside of your mother's body. And uh, once that umbilical cord was cut, you had continued life surging through your body. That's what you have at this very moment. That is called your indwelling, divine, spiritual birthright. That's your birthright. That spirit that you have indwelling inside of you. If I cut your head open, I can see your brains, but I cannot see your spirit. It's invisible, but it's there. How do you know it's there? Because you're alive, and you can smell, you can see, you can hear, you can talk, etc., etc. All humans was given everything that they would spiritually need to sustain themselves for the rest of their lives. He was given that when you came out of your mother's womb. That makes the gift that you have of life your indwelling divine spiritual birthright. That's your birthright. But no human on earth was given a religion. Man created the religion for man to control his thinking and his actions. Carl G. Woodson said it best in his book, The Miseducation of the Negro, published 1933. If you can control a man's thinking, 
You do not have to worry about his actions. If you've been trained to go to the back of a building to find a back door upon arriving at that building, if he does not find a back door, he will make one. So religion is doing that to all of humanity. Seven billion humans. Five hundred million of those seven billion, five hundred million does not practice a religion. Six billion, five hundred thousand humans practice a religion of one religion or another. Okay? Now, let's deal with your, uh, the gift that you were born with. One of the gifts. And that main gift is your pineal gland. Your pineal gland sits in the middle of your brain. It serves as a receiver and a sender between you, the individual human being, and your personal universe. Your personal universe. Now, where is your personal universe? Your personal universe is called your mind. That's your mind. Okay? Our ancestors, the Egyptians, wore a uraeus with a serpent on top. That serpent represented the third eye. So the pineal gland uh, grows as you, the human, grow from a baby to an adult. It's shaped like a serpent, but it's a con- it is a conduit that serves as a receiver and a sender between you and your personal universe. The bottom of your pineal gland are your nostrils. What do you do with your nostrils? You intake air. You breathe. To keep that indwelling spirit alive inside of you. At this very moment that I'm talking to you. Let's go and get into your universe. Every human walks around in their own universe. Your personal universe is your mind. Again, if I cut your head open, I can see your brain, but I cannot see your mind. Your mind is invisible. It's air. It's out there. It's your thinking. It's your consciousness. Every human lives in their own personal universe. Now, You can create things in your universe. Oh, for instance, everything that you see around you, whatever room that you may be in at this moment, was once invisible. I'm in my second bedroom. I see a bed, dresser, chest of drawers, nightstand, I see a desk, 
I see a table. I see a dressing table. I see mirrors. I see paintings and pictures on the wall, light fixtures, rugs on the, a rug on the floor, etc., etc. Now, lamps and so forth. Now, all these things I, I, I just mentioned came out of the mind and the minds of a male or female from their personal universe. At one time, the rug that I'm looking at wasn't in existence. The bed that I'm looking at was not in existence. It wasn't there. It was in, eventually, it came into someone's mind to design this bedroom set. It came out of their mind. The chair, or the chairs in this room, the different designs of the, of the chairs in this, in this room came out of someone's mind, female or male. Okay? So, another thing I want you to uh, understand is this. Singularly, a man or a female, singularly, cannot create anything with life in it by themselves, individually. You cannot create life in objects such as the bed and dresses and mirrors and chairs and rugs and et cetera, et cetera. So therefore, singularly, a man cannot create anything with life in it. Singularly, a female cannot create anything with life in it by herself. The only thing that can, that, that, that can be created with life in it, in a human form, is the two male and female have a sexual reunion, and that process of the sperm and the egg and et cetera, et cetera, what I just told you, brings forth, bring forth and produce pro-life. It brings forth and produce pro-life, and that's where we are. Now, getting back to the single individual human, this, this applies, what I'm talking about applies for every human walking this earth no matter what color that and race that he may belong to. So, getting back individually, they can only produce things that has no life in it. The rug that I see on my floor here, the bed, the dresser, the table, the chairs, the, uh, the mirror, the pictures, etc., etc. They all are dead, have no life in it. Television and so forth and so on. Have no life in it. See? But they came out of the minds of a female or a male. So I want you to understand that. So inside of your world, you can create things. You see? Um... The human being um, have hunches. 
intuition, ideas that pops into your subconscious mind as well as your conscious mind. Your subconscious mind and your conscious mind interacts with each other. Now, where is your subconscious mind? Your subconscious mind is your is your abdomen. That's where your mother carried you and incubated you for nine months. That is called, and the area that is called your subconscious mind, where ideas, hunches, and intuition comes into play. Also, ideas, uh, hunches, intuition comes into your conscious mind. So, like I said, the both interact with each other. Your subconscious mind is where you store things to be retrieved when you need them. Such as, uh, I'm telling you, in order for you to retain the information that you're learning in the class, you have to practice and bring what you want uh, as as, as your studies provide the knowledge that you want to keep, and uh, you and you and you will be able to retrieve that knowledge uh, from your storage place. Your storage place is your subconscious mind, invisible, but it's there. So just like a computer. Uh, you type in things or you take in things on your computer. And the things that you want to keep, you put it into a storage in your computer. And when you want to retrieve what you put into storage in your computer, you hit that button, boom, and what you uh, put in your computer to, to save for the time when it comes with, that you want to retrieve it, you can hit that button and it pops up. Uh, for instance, myself and yourself, uh, dates, time, people, places, and events, and literature, that's the foundation um, to retain uh, literature and retain the dates, the time, the people, and the events. So you keep those dates of time, people, places, and events by way of uh, learning the dates, the people's name, the events, uh, and the places where these events and the people took place to make this history. So you keep all that stored in your subconscious mind. So when you want to retrieve it, it, it'll it'll pop up. You see? That's where you're keeping and, 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 and storing the knowledge that you're taking in on this class. I'm teaching you a class every Tuesday, but I don't have no notes. Everything is in my head. Everything is in my subconscious mind. You see? So therefore, uh, repetition 
enables me to uh, remember the time, people, places, events. You see, by way of dates. Dates is very important because if you don't know dates and the time, people, places, events, then you become confused. You see, like before I took over, uh, before you allowed me to teach you, uh, you were, I found the class plundering. They were just floating out there. They had a white cane with a red tip on it, a dog. They were just pecking along, but they didn't have no, they had no, they had no structure. You see, so in this class we are forming structure. So you can understand the big picture that's out here. You can, with those dates, time, people, and places and events, you'll find out what's true and what's false. What's a lie and what's uh, facts. You separate the lie from the facts. You see? So this is what you were born with. That's your humanity. So... Instead of, if a person embraces a religion, let's take Christianity, or it applies for any religion, Islam, Black Hebrew, Israelitism, uh, Judaism, Buddhism, Zoroastrianism, whatever. It's a man, all man-made religions. No human, remember, was born with a religion. I just explained to you what you were born with, what your humanity is made of. And you can take it further than that. You can keep stretching it. If you want to, but you, those things that I mentioned and talked about is the base foundation of your humanity. Okay. So, um, so that's very important for you to know. That's knowing thyself. You see? Now, no human was born with a religion. How does one get a religion? You get it from your parents or whoever raised you. For instance, uh, your parents went through the motion of a sexual intercourse to bring each and every one of us here. If your parents were a Christian, for instance, they were Christians. So here you come out of their, your mother's womb into this world, a miracle human being. All humans are a miracle. So therefore, by them being a Christian, they pass their disease on to you. This disease and virus called religion. They pass it on to you. In your child innocent age, you can't say, Mom, Dad, I don't want to be a Christian. Please don't do this to me. Mom, Dad, I don't want to be a Muslim. Mom, Dad, I don't want to be a black Hebrew Israelite. Mom, Dad, I don't want to be a Jew. Mom, Dad, I don't want to be a Buddhist. Mom, Dad, I don't want to be a Zoroastrian. You couldn't say that because you were a child. So you grew up going to church, and they put a big cross around your neck with a dead white man on it. Your mother and father did that. They didn't know any better. 
because your grandparents did it to your mother and father. And your great-grandparents did it to your grandparents. And your great-great-grandparents did it to your grandparents, your great-grandparents, and so forth and so on. You see, so it goes back, 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 back. So here we are, January um, the 17th. 2017, and uh, we're here learning what happens to an individual. How did they get to be a Christian? How did they get to be a, a Muslim, etc., etc., etc.? That's how it's, it's passed down from from generation to generation. See, so therefore, um, people think that you have to practice a religion. You don't have to practice no religion. Why? Because you wasn't born with one. You were born with everything that you will spiritually need to sustain yourself. Coming out of your mother's womb at the time of your birth, you were given everything that you need to sustain yourself spiritually. Everything. All your mother and father had to do was watch you develop and evolve. Okay? So therefore, uh, I want to bring that to your attention. You are in control. You have the spiritual power to do whatever you want to do. All humans have two choices. You can choose a good choice or a bad one. You can choose to think good or you can choose to think bad. If you if you choose to think bad, there's a consequence for that. What goes around comes around. That's the law. Universal law. You reap what you sow. In other words, if you sow a bad seed, you can only have, coming from that bad seed that you sow, uh, the same thing, negative reaction. What, what, what go around, what goes around, comes around. Same thing, the same principle. Okay. Uh, the universe that we live in is balanced on uh, a positive force and a negative force. It's like your car battery. Your car battery has two poles in there. You have one po uh, positive and one negative. But without those two, your car won't start because those two balance itself out. For instance, the scale of Mayat. We, we enter our ancient Egyptian consciousness as always. We're going to eat, sleep, talk, and walk ancient Egypt. The scale of Mayat has a feather on one side, and the other side, uh, your heart is being weighed. We're going to get into that. 
And uh, that is called cosmic balance. Okay? So if you, when you, when a human being, listen to this, when a human being chooses to do a bad deed or even think bad, let's say a bad deed so you can really physically see what I'm talking about. So you go out and you rob a bank or stick up somebody or steal something or whatever the case might be. But what you have done to scale in your personal life is that you cause that scale to come lopsided. The scale is off balance. Now, you owe the universe because you broke the law. So therefore, you do things that is negative and bad, what is considered bad and you know is not right. You have to pay for it. You may be walking down the street and uh, here comes the police. And the police jumps out and arrests you. And you say, why are you arresting me? You know, but you have done something wrong that causes you to receive a negative reaction or action. Or, uh, you know, you may go, uh, after you committed this, this, this negative act, you're going through life and something is going to happen to you that's not good. Put it like that, make it more simple. So now, when you did the bad deed, the scale of merit, which is the scale of justice, tipped one-sided. So when you, so that means that you owe the law, the spiritual law of the universe, the spiritual balance, that law. So once you uh, paid the law back, by something bad happening to you because you did a bad deed, then the scale goes back to level again. You paid the law back, but now you're in jail or you're dead or uh, something happened to you, someone, one of your loved ones passed away, or something negative, or you're driving in your, driving in your car and you have an accident and you there with no insurance and no driver's license, and you're just in a pickle, okay? So you're paying the law back. Now, on the other hand, if you help someone or you give an, uh, of yourself to help someone, uh, then the law owes you the scale of chips again. But this time, the law owes you. You see? So now you you may be broke. You say, wow, where am I going to get some money at? And you go home, look in your mailbox, and there's your income tax return check in the mailbox. See? The law has paid you back. Then, you, then the scale of 
suggestions goes back to even again. Either you break the law and you have to pay for it, or you uh, do a good deed and think good thoughts, and the law has to pay you. So I hope uh, you get the gist of what I'm talking about. That's who you are. So I want you to take that, uh, what I've been talking to you about, and uh, think about it. Because this is what you possess, along with all 7 billion humans walking this earth as human beings of all races, creeds, and color. That's what they possess. They're humans. Now, Let's talk about God. Now, the reason why I'm talking about uh, and telling you about what you were born with as a human being, and now we're going to talk about God, is that we are going to go into religion. See? So, first place, you have to know something about yourself, knowing that you were not born through religion and so forth and so on, like I explained. Now we're going to God. In all religions, there is God present. In Christianity, God of Christianity is this dead white man on the cross called Jesus the Christ. His father is is invisible. He's floating around in the heads of uh Millions of Christians in an invisible form. But we're going to get into it. We're going to break all that down. So now God is in uh, Islam, Allah. God is in Judaism, Jehovah, and Yahweh. God is in Buddhism, Buddha. Etc. Etc. Et God is in Zoroastrianism, Zoroaster, so forth and so on. So God is in all of these man-made, unnatural religion. So we're going to talk about God. Who is this man called God? I gave a lecture in L.A. some years back on who is this man called God. And I have, uh, they videoed that lecture, so I have tapes on it. But anyway, who is this man called God? The preacher in the church will tell you that in the Bible, God created man in his own image. Again, I'll repeat, the Bible says according to the minister of the church that God created man in his own image. Okay? So, right there it's telling you that God is a man. Number two, every time a human being speaks or says and talk about God, 
They say he, his, or him, which takes you back to what? A male deity. You go to the dictionary and you look up G-O-D, God. In the dictionary it says, the first definition says, a male deity. The second definition, they say a supreme being. If you look up in the same dictionary, goddess, a female deity, but they never said that she's a supreme being. But we'll get into that later on down the line. So I want you to understand that God is a man. Okay? Because uh, the religion, Christianity, uh, using the Bible, says that God created man in his own image, uh, saying and letting the world know that God is a man. Every time, again, humans talk about God, they say he, his, or him. God is a man. My wife came to me one day and said, Walter, I want to tell you about God. I said, okay, Arnetta. She says that God is an abstract idea that needs human spirituality to give it life. God is an abstract idea that needs human spirituality to give it life. In other words, without you, the human being, giving this God life, this invisible God, all of these gods are invisible. Christianity God is invisible except for that dead white man on the cross that they tell uh, the Christians that he is the son of God. See? And then they tell you, in, in Christian theology, that God sent his only begotten son to save the world from sin. And blah, 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 and so forth and so on. See? So, um, in Islam, Allah is a male. A man. Judaism, Yahweh, or Jehovah, is a female, I'm sorry, is a male. In Buddhism, this fat dude they call Buddha with a diaper and some titties, uh, he is considered God, a male. See, so all Zoroaster is a, is a male. All of these are called gods, but they all are pertaining to male. See? All right? Now, so God is a man. A man, like I mentioned before, singularly cannot produce anything with life in it. Nothing. A female, singularly, goddess, cannot create anything with life in it by herself. The two Male and female has to be mated sexually. I went over that so you can understand that. Now we're talking about God. When an individual goes to church and they sit in the pews of the church, they give away all of their power 
to this dead white man on the cross that they're calling God. So therefore, you become powerless. Now you was born with power. That's your indwelling divine spiritual birthright. Your personal individual power that was given to you at the time of your birth, coming out of your mother's womb. But you has been you have been trained to uh, embrace a religion of one of another kind. And you uh, take this human, individual, spiritual power that you have and you uh, give it away to these various religions by way of what? Belief. You see? You use your belief. That's your power in that dead white man on the cross. So therefore, all Christians are sitting in the pews of a church powerless because they gave all their power away to that dead white man on the cross and that and that dead Bible with all those lies in it inside of it. You believe that because the Bible is a book that one has to believe in. If you don't believe in the Bible, the Bible is dead. You keep it alive by believing in it, using your own indwelling spiritual power to do so. Really have to understand that. So um, that's where to understand about God. God is a man. Now, Um, who is your God? Who created you? Your mother and your father. So your father is your individual God. Your mother is your individual goddess. They created you. Not no invisible God that's floating around in your head. So if you're going to... Take this invisible God and say, oh, uh, uh, God created me. Then what about your mother and father? They didn't do a damn thing then. They having a, a sexual intercourse was in vain. Nothing produced. But you came from it, from them, from their actions. So I want you to understand that your father is God and your mother is goddess. And the two mating together, having a sex, sexual intercourse, produce you. Okay? This, I want you to understand that your father is God. Your mother is goddess. Okay? Now, these religions will mislead you. Christianity, the old Minister, use the Bible. And they tell you, this uh, minister tell you that God created the heavens and the earth. That's a lie. God can't do that. Why? Because God is a man. And a man singularly can't create any, cannot create anything with life in it. A female singularly cannot create anything with life in it. So now I'm going to take you to 
uh, creation. What created, this is the question, and you have to use the word what. What created the sky, the planets, the stars, the moon, the sun, air, earth, water, vegetation, animals, and humanity? That's that's creation. Everything I name has life in it. Okay? Now, the question is, what created that? What brought about the creation of the sky, the stars, the planet, the moon, the sun, air, earth, water, vegetation, animals, and humanity? I can give you an answer. The answer is very simple. I don't know. It's called the mystery of life. No human on earth can give you that answer. I don't care how many degrees he has, how much money they have, and what station in life they hold. They can't not give you that answer. They can give you a man-made theory. That's not a theory. It's not based in facts. They can give you their theory, but uh, there's three positions that you can do with theory. You can believe it, disbelieve it, or be neutral about it. But no human on earth can tell you how the sky, the planets, the stars, the moon, the sun, air, earth, water, vegetation, animals, and humanity, what created them. Can't tell you that. And it's in, and it's it's impossible for you to ever find that answer out. And I'm glad that no human could, would ever be able to find that answer because if they can find out what created the things that is uh, in creation that I just mentioned, we will be in trouble because this white man will take it and use it in, in a negative form. And people will be dying all over the planet because he he'll, he'll corral the air and start charging you air, uh, air and sending you an air bill for you to stay alive. If you don't pay your air bill, they cut it off and you drop dead in the streets. So I'm glad that no human will ever know that. I'm going to tell you why no human will ever know that. Okay, I'm going to tell you why. Not now, but just a moment, I will. The second question is has to be asked, what created the very first man and woman to appear on planet Earth? Who created them? What created them? How, where did they come from? When did they first appear on planet Earth? I can give you that answer, too. Don't know. It's called the mystery of life. No human can tell you that. And give you theory, but that's not based in facts. So that that answer uh, to that question cannot be answered. And I'm gonna tell you why. I'm getting close to it to tell you why. The third question is that when you go to a funeral and you look down in the casket at the deceased, the question has to be asked. 
where did the spirit of that once human living on earth, where did their spirit go after they are deceased? I can give you that answer. Don't know. It's called the mystery of life. People will come up and give you all kinds of theories on that. Just a theory, but it's not based in facts. No theory is based in facts. It's someone's uh, theory that they have concocted. You can believe it, disbelieve it, or be neutral. Now, I'm going to tell you why it is impossible for you to know those three things. Very simple. Going back to your mother and father having this intercourse. The sperm of your father impregnated your mother's egg, thus causing the nine months of incubation for you, the human being, to come out at the end of the duration of the nine months, coming forth out of your mother's body as a miracle into this world as a human being. Now, I've asked you, at what conscious memory in your mind do you remember in your conscious memory when you found yourself here on planet Earth? I found myself, Walter Williams, at the age of four, consciously. I found myself in a geographical land area called Chicago, Illinois. And I found myself belonging to a race of people that were identified as being Negroes. Okay? So from zero to four, I have no conscious memory of myself. I can remember the time that my grandfather made me a tool chest with a hammer and screwdriver and all that stuff in it. Okay, I can remember that. But from zero so four years old, I had no conscious memory of Walter Williams. I found myself here living in the geographical land area of Chicago, Illinois. I found myself belonging to a race of people known as Negroes. I found myself there. So, now, if you cannot tell me how you found or uh, if you cannot tell me how you got here, and no human can tell you that, because you can multiply my experience with every human on earth. The European found himself in Europe as a European. You know how he got there? The Chinese found himself in China as a Chinese. He don't know how he got there. The Indian of India found himself in India as an Indian. He don't know how he got there. The African found himself in Africa, in the continent of Africa. He don't know how he got there. Now, that's, 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 that's analytical thinking. See? So now, uh, I do not know. No human can tell you when the eyeballs develop inside of that nine months of incubation, when their feet and toes begin to develop, when their arms and hands begin to develop. They can't tell you that. They have no memory of that. 
But if you have no conscious memory of how you got here in this world as a human being, then you cannot tell me how the sky, the planets, the, the stars, the moon, the sun, air, earth, water, vegetation, animals, and humanity came from. You can't tell me that. Don't let no one tell you that we Africans are the first humans on earth. You can't. Huh? Don't, don't fall into that trap. Why? Because you don't know how you got here. You can't say that. You don't know nothing about yourself, how you got here as a human being. So how can you tell me about who was the first man here on earth and the first woman? Okay? So don't let nobody tell you that. Don't let nobody tell you about uh, uh, Africans uh, migrating to Europe during the Ice Age and it's so cold over there that their dark skin turned white and they that their pudgy nose turned king, and that their kinky hair turned straight, their skin turned white. Now, don't let nobody tell you that. Okay, who is telling you that? It's not true. Then you're gonna uh, they're gonna show you a, a white man uh, with hair all over his body with a club in his hand, dragging this woman by the hair in a cave to beat her half to death. That's uncivilized. It shows you a picture of uncivilized man. They call it the Neanderthal man. You mean to tell me that you're going to hold up for something, from something that is uncivilized when you, us, we, Africans, came out of the continent of Africa where civilization was developed for all of humanity. Now you're going to tell me we came out of Africa, out of the, uh, the home of, the, of civil, civilized people into, and, into Europe and turned into uh, something that's uncivilized and savage. So don't let anybody tell you that. <clears throat> so that's the reason why uh, I have to go over this with you so you can have a a good foundation, because if, if you're going to uh, uh, learn under my tutelage, I've got to give you a good foundation. This is your foundation that, that you that you evolving that you evolving into. Okay, this is your foundation that you evolving into. Now, let's get back to the class session. Everybody got their Oh, clear pad. Oh, your clear page, and you, you mark that page, lesson number three, uh, January the 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 seventeenth, two thousand seventeen, third class. Now, everybody, I'm assuming, have their. Uh, Ptolemaic dynasties list, which you have a, should have a list with 14 Ptolemies listed on there. The word Ptolemy, Ptolemy means Greek successor or Greek ruler of Egypt, of ancient Egypt. 
the Greek successors of Alexander the Greek, and uh, which means uh, Greek ruler of Egypt. Okay. Now let's go back. The entrance of the Greeks. We're going to learn in our class sessions that we're going to have what happened to our African ancient Egyptian ancestors after the Greeks came into Egypt. Very important. We're going to learn that. So let's begin. In 332 B.C., the Greeks appeared in Egypt around our ancestors. Our ancestors had created a civilization and had it into place for 9,668 years before the Greeks came into Egypt. So when they came into Egypt, civilization was over with. John and Henry Clark used to bring that out. Civilization was over with. So here they come. Alexander the Greek. Do not call Alexander the Great, because no human on earth is great that terrorized our ancestors and brutalized our ancestors and cut our ancestors' culture off. They're not great. They are savages, uncivilized, inferior, psychopathic savages. So, Alexander came in, and he looked around and found the things that you studied in the introduction. I told you to study the introduction, and that, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted you to study that those that introduction is to get a feel of our ancestors' culture and civilization that was created there in the continent of Africa, in Egypt, by way of uh, their culture. They saw all of these things, and they was in awe of it. They saw the complete harmony that our ancestors had over there. Our ancestors had a near-perfect society and culture. They had no crime during the time of their existence in Egypt, in the continent of Africa. Had no crime. They had no jails. They had no armies. You don't need, what you need with an army for? Armies used what the Europeans used their army for, going around terrorizing people, confiscating their, their, their land, taking their natural resources, raping their women, killing their the the the, uh, the children, etc. etc. That's what they used their army for. So our ancestors had no army. Now to prove what I'm just saying, you can go to any museum around the world, throughout the world, that displays ancient Egyptian artifacts. You will never ever find war weapons. Never find the war weapons on display. You may see them depicted in the ancient Egyptian book with their bow and arrows, but that was for hunting. They used that for hunting. 
Okay? But not to kill people, not to take from other people, not to terrorize people. They didn't do that. They had no crime in their society because everybody was provided with everything that they would need to sustain themselves as a human being. They had all the food they wanted, all the water to drink and so forth and so on. They had homes and uh, they had a school system, a temple system, sacred temple system, where they, uh, which was their school, where they uh, schooled their children and so forth and so on. They had all of that going. They walked around in sandals. They walked around, had uh, uh, cotton garments on. They had soap and cosmetics to, uh, to, to take care of their body. They had hair products. They had everything, eating utensils, they had furniture, you name it. They had everything that we have today. So what we see today is nothing new. It's all nothing but a replica of our ancestors in Egypt. Okay? So when when this Greek comes into Egypt, he's in awe. Remember this. Our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, never lived in the jungle. They never they, they live in jungles. Never lived in the jungle. They never lived in huts. They never lived in the caves or, or tents or anything like that. They didn't do that. They lived in brick buildings. Why? Because they knew how to build buildings. Why? Because they created mathematics to do so. They built a great pyramid. That's a structure. You know they can build a great pyramid. They're going to build houses for themselves to live in. That's part of being a civilized society and, 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 and culture. See? So this you have to really understand. So when the Greeks came in, they saw this. They was in all of this. They wanted to be made part of this. The Greeks knew that in order to rule and control, that they had accepted into the priest society of ancient Egypt, but they were rejected because our ancestors did not race mix. They did not take foreigners in their sacred society. So Alexander, coming in in 332, nine years later, he died. Three 23. B.C. dates, like I mentioned, are counted down. Today's dates that we live in today are counted up. We we came out of 2016, now we're in 2017. Uh, A year from now, we'll be in 2018, 2019, and so forth and so on. The dates go up. B.C. dates are counted down. So nine years after coming to Egypt in 332, he died, 323. So, in the meantime, he, not only was he in Egypt to plunder, he, was, he had plundered northeast Africa, Syria, and Turkey. Okay? So, he had those two spots in Africa, Central Africa, which is Egypt, and Northeast Africa, which is where Turkey and Syria is today. He plundered those two spots. 
and he left uh, uh, one of his army generals in charge of South, I'm sorry, Northeast uh, Africa. Northeast Africa today is called the Middle East. That's a that's a political uh, political name, a nickname, a political name. They name Northeast Africa Middle East, the Middle East. He left one of his army generals in charge, Seleucus Nakata. I'm setting you up for something. It's all in uh, a learning curriculum. And uh, he died. When he died in 323, they had a, his generals, army generals, had a duo meeting, meaning the word Dioduchi means uh, finding the successor of Alexander. Dioduchi, finding the successor of Alexander. So they had that meeting in Egypt. And uh, Seleucus Nicator came to that meeting. And at that meeting, it was decided among themselves that Ptolemy I, Sota, his name was Ptolemy I Ligi, called Sota, he was to take Egypt. It was decided that Seleucus Nicator would take uh, Northeast Africa. Uh, Syria and Turkey. Okay? Now, um, when Seleucus Nakata got back from the meeting in Egypt, back into Northeast Africa, he found that he had been usurped by one of his General, our lieutenants that he left in charge while he was at the meeting. His lieutenant, Antagonus, usurped him. Antagonus usurped him. And so Seleucus Nicator ran back into Egypt to tell Ptolemy, do not pronounce the P in Ptolemy. The P is silence. It's Ptolemy, go to the T, not bypass the P. He told uh, Ptolemy, he says, I've been usurped by Antigonus, my lieutenant that I left in charge while at the meeting here. So uh, Ptolemy, one like he, got his army together, and they went into northeast Africa, and they confronted Antigonus, Antigonus, and they defeated him and gave uh, the territory of, of, of Northeast Africa, Syria, and Turkey back to Seleucus Nicator. Now, this is history I'm talking about, human history. This is some of the things that happened to, after, after the Greeks came into Egypt to our ancestors. So now, uh, you'll see on the first Ptolemy, you you see where it says Ptolemy Sota. The word that word means S O T E R means Savior. Look it up in your dictionary. So he became the Savior. See? But his name was 
21, like he called Sota, the Savior. Okay? Now, um, that understanding and knowledge of the, of, of the Savior is going to play big in Christianity. Okay? Because uh, Jesus the Christ is called the Savior. So we're going to fit all that into this. This is where it started from. It started with Ptolemy 1, Lagi, called Sota. Sota, like I mentioned, means Savior. Okay? Um, so hold, hold that point. Let's go to the second Ptolemy, Ptolemy two Philadelphia. You see his dates in there? B.C. dates. All the Ptolemies has B.C. dates. Now, now, last week I told you that during the time, this is a story now, that the Jews were in Egypt under the Ptolemaic uh, regime, meaning that, and they were Hellenized, meaning that the word Helen means, when you see that word Helen, it means Greek. They, uh, the historical, that they were Hellenized to the point where they could not no longer speak their tongue, which is Hebrew, nor read their literature, which is Hebrew. And now they can only speak Greek, okay, and read Greek. Okay? Now, um, all this is a lie now. Mind you, this is a lie, but this is what's out there in Western, Western academia. This is what's out there. Now, I'm going to bring something to your attention. You remember the story of Moses and the ten plagues and the exodus and, and the slaves of Jews building the, uh, uh, the great pyramid and the Pharaoh army was chasing the Jews to the Red Sea and the Red Sea rolled back to dry land and enabled the Jews to cross the Red Sea over into the promised land and when the, when the old Pharaoh Got, and his army got to the Red Sea. The, the Red Sea rolled back and drowned Pharaoh's army. Remember that? Now the Jews that ran out of Egypt. Is that correct? Yes. What the hell are they doing back in Egypt again? Under the Ptolemies. You see? History is written today. Now you listen to this very careful. History is written today as I speak, to sustain Jews in history. That's how it's written. Everywhere you go in history, you find a damn Jew stuck in there some kind of way. Now, you watch that. Okay? Now, so I told you, um, under this Ptolemy, um, Philadelphia, which is the son of 
and the successor of his father, Ptolemy one, that these Jews, according to Western academia and the lie of the Bible, etc., etc., that they were Hellenized in Egypt under the Ptolemy rule, couldn't read Hebrew, couldn't write Hebrew. So what the Ptolemy, I told you to study the Greek Septuagint, S-E-P-T. U-I or U-A-G-E-N-T. Septuagint. And I hope that you did go in somewhere in your encyclopedia and look up Septuagint, the Greek Septuagint. Uh, I, I mentioned uh, books that you should get to enhance and expand your studies. One of the books I told you to get was the Dictionary of the Bible by John L. McKenzie, S.J., Society of Jesus. It was a Jesuit Roman Catholic priest who produced this Bible dictionary, which is another form of a history. But it's not. It's not what you think it is that it's going to uh, uh, talk about nothing but verses in the Bible. It talks about that too, but they also give you some side history. And in that book by John L. McKenzie, the Dictionary of the Bible, they have a section in there called the Septuagint. Or you could look it up in the encyclopedia. Or you can go, to, if you don't have a set of encyclopedia, uh, go to the library and look it up there. And I suggested that if you can find a one-volume Columbia Encyclopedia, uh, the second edition, and that one-volume Encyclopedia, very thick and heavy. Me and Karak could tell you that because he got one. He told me he got one. And uh, you can find everything that you uh, want to know about as pertains to history, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's right there. But anyway, I hope that you went and researched the Septuagint. And I'll give you um, some highlights in that subject. They said that these Greeks, I'm sorry, they said that these Jews were in Egypt being Hellenized and had been Hellenized by the Greeks. The word Helen means they were uh, brainwashed in the Greek culture. That's called Hellenized, or Helen. Helen, when you see that word, H-E-L-L-E-N-E, that means Greek. If you couldn't read Hebrew or write Hebrew, so therefore... Ptolemy II sent um, a letter to Aristus, Aristus, Aristus. This letter is called the Pseudopigraphal Letter of Aristus, meaning that 
he called for six scholars from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, which is another lie. Because you go back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham, who changed his name to Israel. And this Jacob, with his name changed to Israel, had 12 sons. And those 12 sons are listed as being the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? So the story goes that Ptolemy uh, II Philadelphia sent by way of a letter to Aristides. You'll find all this what I'm saying when you do the research. If you haven't found it, it's there. That he requested six scholars from each tribe. So six times 12 is 72. Okay? And that of the Greek Septuagint is marked by LXX. So whenever you see LXX, that's the Greek Septuagint sign. The L is 50, and the two X's, each X is 10. So it's LXX 70 or 72. That's what it means. Okay? And that he called them to Egypt. And he... Um, gave them a uh, a Bible, gave them 72 Bibles, and he put them in separately into 72 rooms, and that their job was to translate from the Greek, these Greek Bibles, into Hebrew. So, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He was, they were supposed to take these Bibles and translate those Bibles from Hebrew into Greek so the, the Jews living under the Greek Ptolemy could read their Bible, which was written, now translated from Hebrew into Greek. Okay? So that is a short overview of the Greek so if you study that, you have to study that because this is part of your uh, evolving in knowledge. Because you have to know what's out there because you don't know who you're going to meet that going to bring up the, the Greek Septuagint on you. And I want you to be aware of it being out there. And I want you to be aware of that you have studied this so you know what people are talking about when they bring that Greek Septuagint subject up to you. Okay? And you have to retain these dates and time, people, places, and events. This is one of the time, people, places, and event things that has to be retained. Okay? Now, I want you to study uh, the Latin Vulgate 
V-U-L-G-A-T, Latin Vulgate, L-A-T-I-N, V-U-L-G-A-T, the Latin Vulgate. All this is connected with the Septuagint, the Latin Vulgate, which is another lie. I'll tell you why it's a lie. They said in 382, Pope Damascus commissioned Jerome to translate from the from the Greek Septuagint translate a Bible version uh, for the Roman Catholic Church, and that Bible version is called the Latin Vulgate. Okay, now all these lies is glaring in your face at this moment. If you know history, you see that? If you know, I, I told you about incarnate, how they incarnate names, how they predate, etc., etc. Okay? So now, here they have in 382, uh, CE, we're in the common era now, we're out of the BC era. This story is out of the BC era, it's now in the common era, where you got Jerome now, it's translating from the Greek Septuagint a Bible which is called the Latin Vulgate for the Roman Catholic Church. Okay? So, um, study the Latin Vulgate and the lie that's connected to it. Uh, I want to remind you, 382 is in the 4th century. There was no religion, no place around on planet Earth. None whatsoever. During the time of Ptolemy II Philadelphia, there was no religion, no place on earth, no Jews walking around on earth. Only places you find Jews is in the Bible, in a narrative story. The Bible is the book that one has to believe in. So if you read the story about Jews in the Bible, if you believe the story that you read about Jews in the Bible, then you have created a human Jew by giving this story spiritual, your personal spirituality, your personal spirit. To make it alive and and real in your life. Understand that. Okay? So now, those are the two things I want you to study. The Latin, Vulgate, and the Greek Septuagint. So you can really have an understanding. And you can see uh, the lies will be just popping out all over in your face. Be popping out at you. You got to jump out the way so they won't hit you. Now, let's go down to the third Ptolemy. Uh, Ptolemy 3, Eugetes 1. Ptolemy 3, Eugetes 1 is the grandson of Ptolemy 1, the son of Ptolemy 2, Philadelphia. What did he do in history? He built the Serapium Temple, which we're going to get into once we complete our Ptolemaic dynasty list, he he built the Serapium Temple in Alexandria, Egypt. 
Okay? Alexandria, Egypt was named after Alexander the Greek. So we're going to go, I'm telling you that to show you the importance of these different Ptolemies. He built the Serapium in Alexandria, Egypt. Okay? Uh, let's go to Ptolemy 4. Okay, just a normal Ptolemy. Let's go to Ptolemy 5. Epiphanies. You see that? Ptolemy 5. Something happened there. I want you to take note of this. That's where the Rosetta Stone was commemorated and created for him. The Rosetta Stone that was found in Egypt by Napoleon while Egypt was being occupied by the British. So he couldn't take that stone back to France with him. The stone now is in the British Museum. He only could take rubbings back from that stone. So, in the coronation of Ptolemy five Epiphanies, uh, our ancestors supposedly made a commemorative stone, a commemorating stone called the Rosetta Stone, and presented to this Ptolemy five during his uh, reign. Uh, as he was being in, uh, in where he was being uh, sworn in as the new ruler of Egypt, Ptolemy V. That was one of his gifts. Okay? The reason why they supposed they have given him that was because he was, uh, because of the favors that he was giving to the Melchite Coptic Egyptians. The Melchite Coptic Egyptians were the ones that ran the government of ancient Egypt. Okay? So they were uh, your bourgeois and so forth and so on. They were the ones that the Greek language was forced on, and they, by them being a literary people, applied an alphabet to the Greek language. So the Greeks never had an alphabet. But the Greek language, an alphabet was applied to that Greek language by our ancestors after that language of Greek was forced onto them and they applied an alphabet to the language. And today that language is called, I'm sorry, that alphabet is called the Greek alphabet. The Greeks never had an alphabet because there's never been an institution that ever come out of Greece. In order to have an institution, you have to have an alphabet in order to have an institution. So, so now we we are now at Ptolemy um, five Epiphanies. Okay. Now all of the Ptolemies sat on the throne and ruled Egypt, representing being the vicar of Serapis. We don't get to Serapis. Serapis today is called Jesus the Christ, but we're going to get to that. But just take that in and put it in your psyche and put it in your subconscious mind. We're going to get back to it. So today, what is 
The epiphany is called Little Christ, a little Christmas. It is worship or practice in worship, in ceremony, from December the 26th through January the 6th. They call it the 12th night. That's the epiphany. His name was 25 Epiphany. Okay? And Eucharistos. That's an added to his name. The Eucharist today is practiced in the Roman Catholic Church. And that the wine and the wafer that they use in that practice uh, is the Eucharist. That's how they practice the Eucharist. They, they pass this this, this, this wine and wafer, which the wafer represents the body of Christ and the wine represents the blood of Christ. Very savage, but that is, there it is. In all Roman Catholic churches, they do this. So it goes back to Ptolemy V, Epiphanies. Today, the Roman Catholic Church uh, and some Greek Orthodox church churches, they... Uh, worship and practice the Epiphany, which is the 12th night. Begins December 26th and uh, through January the 6th, which is 12 nights. 12 days and 12 nights. So that's where that came from. You can make note of that. What I'm just saying. So I'll give you a chance to make your notes. Okay, we still were totally five uh, epiphanies. Totally five epiphanies married a woman by the name of Cleopatra. Cleopatra was his wife. Okay, put that down on your notes. Totally, uh, Cleopatra was a wife of Ptolemy five. Now that's your first to that's your first, I'm sorry, that's your first Cleopatra on the scene of human history. Where did she come? Cleopatra was a Greek woman. A Greek white European woman. Not a, not an African. Okay? She came from Northeast Africa out of the Seleucus dynasty created by Seleucus Nocator, the successor of Alexander the Greek, like I mentioned before. The successor of Alexander's plunder in Northeast Africa, in Syria and Turkey. Okay? So she came out of that Seleucus uh, dynasty. They had a Seleucus dynasty, and they had a uh, Ptolemy dynasty, Ptolemaic dynasty. So she came out of that Seleucus dynasty out of Northeast Africa, and she married Ptolemy V Epiphanes, okay? Now, I want you to look at uh, the time of Ptolemy V Epiphanes. Um, 
totaling five epiphanies. You got you got that time in here. Let me see if I can pick it up. Uh, what's that? Two o three to one eighty one BC. Two o three to one eighty one BC. Okay. Now that was time enough for uh, them to have a. I have a I have a child, and the child that they had was a girl that was named Cleopatra also, and that particular Cleopatra married Ptolemy six. You see it right there on your. Uh, Ptolemaic list. His reign was 181 to 143. 30 something years, 38 years, I believe. So, the second Cleopatra married Ptolemy VI. Ptolemy VI had a child with Cleopatra, the second Cleopatra, and that was a girl. The girl's name, they named her Cleopatra. Okay? So look at your, look at your time uh, expansion there, where you can have, they can have a baby, and the baby's grown, and now the baby's able to, to the, this child is able to marry. So that the that third Cleopatra married Ptolemy seven. You see? Okay, so now that, that accounts for three Cleopatras right there. Let's go all the way down. You got Ptolemy eight, nothing going on. Ptolemy nine, nothing going on. And you got Ptolemy ten. Uh, nothing going on. Ptolemy 11, nothing going on. Now you get to uh, Ptolemy uh, 12, and you see Cleopatra again there. Cleopatra 7. She was the wife of Ptolemy 12. The same Cleopatra also married Ptolemy 13. That, Cleo, that same Cleopatra also married Ptolemy 14. Right then, right there in your face. You see? That's, that one Cleopatra married three Ptolemies, 12, 13, and 14. So that's where your Cleopatra's come in. So now, uh, pe- people ask you about Cleopatra. You have some knowledge about it. You know where they came came in. Five, six, and seven. Ptolemies had wives that were called Cleopatra. Twelve, thirteen, and fourteen. 
Ptolemies had one wife, and she was named Cleopatra. See? So, that's how we're going to close out the Ptolemy. And then you got down here, it says, uh, Ptolemy Lagi, the founder of the dynasty. Okay? And was one of the generals of Alexander. After the death of Alexander, in uh, after the death of Alexander, he was given uh, Egypt and Serenica, I believe. Women, my eyes is you know. But anyway, um, that word. See why you see it. I can't make it up. My eyes is, is uh, playing tricks on me now. But anyway, that word means uh, Seneca. That's, that's, that's Libya today. I want to bring that out. The, the division of Alexandria. Empire. Okay. Serenica, yeah, Serenica. That's where Libya. That's Libya. That's right next to Egypt. See, he was given. Told me one laggy called Sosa was given Egypt and Serenica, which is next to, uh, which is Libya, which is next to Egypt. See, that's Libya is the ancient name for that is. Serenica. Well, that's something you should note. Okay, now, uh, take your notes. I'll give you time. Something that you want me to go back over with you, uh, Ask me during the question and answer session. So you, in this uh, Ptolemaic dynasty, you you learn uh, who the savior was, which is now going to play a big part in Christianity. Ptolemy one Lagi, the Greek successor of Alexander after he died. You learn about his 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 son, the lies that they have told about his son told me two Philadelphias having Jews in Egypt who were Hellenized. They couldn't read uh Hebrew, they couldn't speak Hebrew, and that he sent uh by way of sending a letter to Aristus to uh have six uh scholars come from each tribe, each 12 tribes to come to Egypt, which they uh, mounted to uh, 72 scholars from six of each tribe coming to Egypt to translate 
the Hebrew Bible into Greek. So the Greeks, I'm sorry, so the Jews in Egypt could now read their literature by way of, uh, through the Greek uh, translation. And that Greek translation from Hebrew to Greek is called the Septuagint. And I told you to study that. Also, I told you to study um, the Latin Vulgate. There's a story attached to that, which is a lie. About Jerome, creating for the Roman Catholic Church. See, they said the church. So when you hear the term the church, they're talking about the Roman Catholic Church. The church. That means the Roman Catholic Church. That this Jerome was commissioned by Pope Damasus in 382 to translate from the Greek Septuagint into Latin a Bible for the, for the church. The Roman Catholic Church in 382. It's another lie. There was no Roman Catholic Church in 382. There was no religion called Christianity in 382. There was no religion on earth, no place on earth of no kind of religion. All religions are man-made. No religion, no place on planet earth. So all these, this, this is a whole conglomerate of lies created by Western academia. By using what? Incarnated names, incarnated events, incarnated places, and people and things. Okay? Predating these stories. Putting it out there in the Bible. Putting it out there in the school system. Teaching it to the masses of people. The people are confused because their parents introduced them to a religion in their early childhood age, and that is confusion. When, you, when your parents introduce you to a religion, your parents have assassinated your spirituality without knowing it. They don't mean to do that because their parents assassinated their spirituality. Okay? So then we went on down and got to... Ptolemy three, Eugenes one, the grandson of Ptolemy one Lagi called Sota, the the son of Ptolemy two Philadelphia. What what did he do? He built the Serapium Temple in Alexandria, Egypt, and he also built an annex building known as the Great Library of Egypt. Note that. And they tell you a lie in Western academia that Aristotle was a teacher of Alexander and that he wrote hundreds of books and Alexander built a library to house his books. And that library that he built is called the Great Library of Egypt, a damn lie. We get get into that. All this is happening while we as an African people sitting up in a damn church talking about we love Jesus. 
They out here using our African ancestors' culture to as a foundation to house and build all these lives on and around. Okay? Now we go down to Ptolemy five. Epiphanies. I told you that Ptolemy five Epiphanies. The Rosetta Stone was supposed to have been uh, commemorated to him on his coronation, on his swearing in as the Ptolemy of Egypt by the Melkite Coptic Egyptians. But that is something suspicious about that Rosetta Stone. We'll get into that later. But that's the story that's out there. I'm telling you all the stories out there where all the lies are lying. Where they're laying on the ground, where they're floating through the air, the institutions that putting all this, these lies out for the whole entire world. And they're using ancient Egypt, our ancestors' uh, culture, as a foundation to bring forth all these lies. And I told you about Ptolemy five epiphanies, the name epiphanies, today is used as the epiphany known as the little Christmas or little Christ, which is celebrated in uh, different Greek Orthodox churches and different uh, uh, Catholic churches under what uh, certain denominations as little Christmas or little Christ, that time of of celebration they use it starts at December the 26th and goes all the way until uh, January the 6th, 12 days, 12 nights. Epiphanies. Also attached to this name is Eucharistos. The Eucharist is also practiced in all Roman Catholic Church. The Eucharist, uh, the the wafer and the and the and the wine signifies the wafer signifies the blood, I'm sorry, the body of Christ, and the wine signifies the blood of Christ. So they have, at all communions, they practice uh, the Eucharist. At all communions, all mass communions, that's what they practice in the Roman Catholic Church. I also told you about Ptolemy V, marrying the first Cleopatra. Cleopatra is a European white female coming out of and living in Northeast Africa, coming out of the Seleucus dynasty. She came into Egypt and she married Ptolemy V, Epiphanes. She was the first Cleopatra. Ptolemy, uh, Five uh, epiphanies, and Cleopatra had a a, a, a baby, a, a girl, and she eventually, and her name was Cleopatra also, and she married Ptolemy six, and because they married very young, you know, twelve, thirteen years old, doesn't matter. So you know how white folks are. And 
Deuteronomy 6. And the second Cleopatra had a baby, which is a girl, and her name was Cleopatra. And she married Ptolemy 7. Sometimes when you read ancient Egyptian history, you run across the name Berenice. Berenice, that name, is also uh, signifies Cleopatra also. But that's another little history. We'll get into that later. So there's your three Cleopatras looking at you. Then we go down to Ptolemy 12, 13, and 14, the last of the uh, Ptolemies, marrying Cleopatra 7. All three of these Ptolemies married the same female white European woman named Cleopatra. Okay? So that's that's how your uh that's, that's what the information and the history is attached to uh the Ptolemaic dynasty of ancient Egypt after uh the Greeks came into Egypt. Okay? Now let's go back up to Ptolemy one, Lagi, called Sota. Um me one like he like like all the like Alexander tried to get himself admitted into the sacred society, the temple sacred society of Egypt was rejected. The Greeks knew in order to rule Egypt they had to be accepted in the sacred temple society of ancient Egypt. Rejected because our ancestors did not race mix or take foreigners in their uh, sacred society. That was their school system. That's where they taught their children. And they had these temples, just like we have uh, schools in the city. Like if you live on this part of town, you have a school. You live in the other part of town, you have another school. That's how they had temples. So, um, Ptolemy one, Maggie, called Sotar, the word S-O-T-E-R means savior. Why was he called the savior? Because he saved the plunder of Alexander for Seleucus Nicator when Antigonus usurped him after he went to the meeting in Egypt to to decide on uh, the successor of Alexander. When he was, after he came back from that meeting, he found that Antigonus had usurped him. He went back into Egypt, told uh, Ptolemy one Lagi what happened, and Ptolemy one Lagi got his army and he went back into northeast Africa in. Assyrian Turkey, and, and he confronted and defeated Antigonus, and he gave that land, plundered land uh, of Syrian Turkey back into the control of Seleucus Nicator, and he was called the Savior. That's how this Jesus the Christ became the Savior, right there. Okay? 
Let's go a little further. Was Tony totally one laggy called the so called the Savior. Let's go back and get your other printed handout on coming from H. G. Wells's book, the outline of history, where you see Serapis now, right? Serapis is looking exactly like the image and the picture, the traditional picture of Jesus the Christ as it's being portrayed today. Correct? Yes, that's correct. Now, let's go down. Uh, all the way down, uh, go down to, look on the right side, and you'll see a, a black dot there. Now, uh, because I, I, I'm not, I don't see as well as you all, so I'm going to add it what's there. Okay, it played now a um, oh in the played now in the cult on, on this ad living what's down here, but it's not like I'm ad living. It's not, but you can read it. In the cult of Serapis, he is spoken of as the Savior. Okay? In the cult of Serapis, he is spoken of as the Savior. Who is the Savior? Ptolemy one laggy called Sota. Remember that. The image that you see here, that's got Serapis under it, that's the image of Ptolemy one laggy called Sota. That same image is the image that we know in a traditional form of Jesus the Christ. So that's how this Jesus the Christ became the Savior. I told you that story. So you know that. Very important story. So now we're going to we're going we're going to go into the making of uh, uh, this image of Christ, how it was created. We're going to create. We're going to take take you in to how uh, the Virgin Mary was created and so forth and so on. So we read it that way. So now, um, in the cult of Serapis, he is spoken of as the Savior. Then it went on to say he raises the dead. Now, let's go back. Let's get into this raising the dead stuff. Um, like I told you, Ptolemy tried to get accepted as a god in the temples of ancient Egypt, but re refused to do that. I mean, the ancient Egyptian in the secular community refused to do that. They did not take foreigners into the sacred society. Okay? Now, um, this is where you're going to understand where you go back to the, uh, the end need. This is where uh, you will find the main ancient Egyptian gods is right there in their Indy, Osiris, Isis, and Horus. Right there. So you, if you understand and know that story uh, of the Indy, which is the Genesis story of, uh, of ancient Egypt. Here, here's where uh, Osiris, Asa, Isis, Aset, and Horus Haru comes in. Coming out of that in need. So now, 
He wants to be, talking about told him that, he wants to be accepted in that community. But the, so the Malachite Coptic Egyptians found a temple in Memphis, Egypt, very important, that would make him into a god. So this is how they did it. They took the name of Osiris, and they took the name of Apus, the bull, representative of Ra, okay, the cow, okay. They, they combined the two names, Osiris and Apus, together. And they had a composite name of Osiris, I'm sorry, Osiris. So that's, and they gave this, this name and the attributes of Osiris and Apus or Osiris to this Greek Ptolemy called Sota, which was a successor of Alexander the Greek. So now he's got a, a new name now given to him by the Melchite Coptic Egyptians after making a composite name of Osiris and Apus and gave him the name of Osirapus or Serapus with the attributes of Osiris. Now he has the attributes of Osiris. See? Now, it says that Serapus and his in his cult, he's spoken of as a savior, and he raises the dead. Now, Osiris, in ancient Egyptian literature, is depicted as a green-bodied-faced human, meaning that he represents the god of vegetation, the god of the underworld. That's Osiris. Okay, so um, by being the god of the underworld, world, the god of vegetation, uh, during this time, this is one of the time we're in, and around my house, my building where I live, uh, my wife, we have planted um, perennials. You look at the ground where the perennials grow and and come through the earth uh, during the spring equinox and the spring season, the ground is bare and it looks dead. But down in the ground is those perennial seeds down there waiting for the spring to come and the ground get warmer and up through the soil they pop. Up through the through the soil, they have been dormant all winter. And around my my house and building, I have hostas and different other plants that are perennial that comes back every uh, spring, and they thrive all summer. See, now that signifies Osiris being depicted with the green body and being the God of the underworld, that he raises the dead. That's his attributes. So that's where he raises the dead come from. 
Then it went on to say that even after the death, that you would always be in the presence of Osiris. Now, let's explain that. Uh, there's a scene, it's called the Judgment Hall of Osiris. I don't know if you've seen that in, in, in Egyptian pictorial books, but there it is. I, I have a, a, a beautiful painting of that done by an artist, the Chicago artist, for me when I had my museum. In the Judgment Hall, there is a there's a, a, a picture of Mayat with her scale with the feather on one side. And then Punefa, the deceased, is led into uh that uh that underworld chamber by Anubis, the deity of, of embalming. And in front of that scale stands Thuth, T-H-O-T-H, with his notebook and pen. And, the, and they take the deceased's heart and put it on the other scale that's opposite the feather of Mayot. And if his heart uh, have an even balance, that don't tip that scale, one way, if that scale becomes even, that means that he has done good deeds on earth while alive as a human being on earth. Then uh, he is allowed to enter the the chamber of where Osiris is sitting in his throne chair with his green body, with. On, his, on, on the right of him is his sister, Isis, with a chair on her head. When you see a depiction of a female with a chair on her head, that's Isis. So all pharaohs of ancient Egypt had, in order to control and govern Egypt, I didn't say rule now, mind you, govern and control Egypt, and govern Egypt, they had to sit on the throne of Isis, sit in her lap. That chair represents the lap and the throne of Isis. That's on his right in this in his antechamber in the other world in the underworld. And to his left, his uh, the twin sister of Isis, Nephthys, his other sister, stands beside uh, his throne chair. Isis on the right of his throne chair, Nephthys on the left of his throne chair, and Osiris was sitting in his throne chair waiting to receive the decease of Hunepha. And at the foot, at Osiris's foot, is Horus, his son. Okay? So, uh, then there's five canopic jars in there that holds the deceased's Brain, spine, liver, stomach, and intestines. So when you, when you read down there, even after death, you will always be in the presence of Serapis. See? That's where they're getting it from, because they gave Serapis the attributes of Osiris with the composite name of Osiris and Apis, giving him 
the name of Serapis, old Serapis. And that's how the Melkite Coptic Egyptians um, created this image that we know today is Jesus Christ. We're going to get into that, okay? But now we'll come to a time where we're going to cut it off right at this point, and we'll pick it up next Tuesday, and we're going to continue into um, into the Ecumenical Council of Nazi 1, 325, Ecumenical Council of Constantinople 1, 381, Council of Ephesus 431, the Council of Chalcedon 451, Council of Constantinople 2, 553, and so forth and so on. And we will go into that and go and learn about the first Christian church. And so we're going to have a good time of learning. We're going to expand our knowledge and so forth and so on. So I want you to take this in, what I just said, and digest it. Think about it. Take your notes. So I'm going to give you a chance to jot your notes down. And then, Brother Bourne, we're going to open up uh, our class to questions and answer session. But give them a little time uh, to take their, to make notes. So we'll do that right now. Yes, sir. All right, family, I'll be coming to the lines in a moment. Be ready with your questions. Please try to write your questions out. Hopefully, any time that we have this class from now on, if you do have questions, please write the question down so then that way, um, when we come to you, it will be immediate. Okay, Brother Bourne, you can open up the class for questions at this moment. Yes sir. yes, sir. Open up the class for questions. I'm opening the lines right now. Okay, great. All right, we'll have uh, Brother Tim will be up first. Brother Tim from Texas. Yeah, Brother Tim from uh, Brother Tim from Texas will be up oh. first. Okay, go ahead, Brother Tim. Brother Tim, well, he's on. We'll come back to you, Sister McKee. Hold on. Greetings. Oh. How you doing, Baba William? Hey, fine. How you doing? This is McKee. Yes, sir. It's me. Oh, okay, okay, McKee. Yes, I didn't really have a, a question this time, um, but I do want to thank you again for, for coming through to teach the class. Thank you. I, I've learned a lot. Thank you. That, that, that's, that makes me feel good. This is what And I think a lot of what you taught is uh, reinforced with what's in your book. Because I read um, your book already, but, you know, I was I'm not really familiar with a lot of the terms and stuff that's in there, so it's like when you speak in it, everything is coming back. Okay. okay. And if you yeah, all so that you don't understand, I have a glossary in the back, and, and if there's anything else that is not in the back that you don't understand, get your dictionary. Okay. See, right. now, you're the wife of Tim, is that correct? Yes, sir, I am. Okay, I want to tell you and Tim, I hope you are not using the same books. 
No. But, but good. You have your own historical origin of Christianity and Islam, and he has his own historical origin of Islam. So when he gets ready to study, he can study, and when you get ready to study, you can study because you have your own book. You see, you don't have to wait for him to finish the book up and pass it to you, or you finish the book up and pass it to him. You see? Mm-hmm. You can, you can have your own books, or you can make your own notes and do whatever you want to do with it. Okay? So I just want to clear that up. So I'm glad that, that you you all both have your own books. Okay? All right. Thank you. Okay, my dear. And thank you, my sister. And love to you. Love to you also. Okay. Thank you. All right, we're going out to our brother Menkara. Brother Menkara? Brother Menkara? Yeah, what's up? Yeah, what's up, my brother? How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, sir. I'm doing fine. It's good to have you. Um, come. My question is very general. Um, uh, just based on some of the uh, 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 family practices, a lot of times when people hear the stories of uh, Osiris and Isis, and um, basically, did our, did, did, did our ancient uh, ancient Egyptian ancestors practice insects? No, 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 uh-uh. That's, that's against me. You don't do that. No, uh-uh. White folks practice insects, not our ancestors. Didn't do that. No, no, no. That's against the law of nature. You don't do that. You don't practice no incest with your family members and your your daughters or your sons or whatever the case might be. They, no, uh uh. The answer is no. Okay. Thank you. And um John L. McKenzie S J Bible Dictionary, am I correct? Yes. Please get okay. that. McKenzie is still John L. McKenzie. I want the class to get uh, uh, through the Amazon or a Catholic bookstore the Dictionary of the Bible. The Dictionary, dictionary of the Bible by John L. McKenzie, M. Small C. Um, K. E. N. Z-I-E, McKenzie, S-J, and the J means Society of Jesus. He was a Jesuit priest for the Roman Catholic Church. That book has got a, 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 a plethora of, 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 of history in there, okay? And it'll it it tell you where certain things are and, 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 and give you more than a Bible dictionary where references made to the Bible and so forth and so on. It also gives you a history of other things. Like in that Bible dictionary is you have the Septuagint in there. You have the Vulgate in there, so forth and so on. So I recommend uh, getting that book. They got the Sumerians in there. They got a whole all kinds of stuff in there. And it'll it show you how this stuff is all uh, fixed up and lied. All the lies is right there. So I okay. recommend you to get that book. Okay. okay. Yes, um, I have one more. 
information that you gave us. When uh, what's the best way? I just, it, it may sound redundant, but I just want to ask for clarity for you know other class members. When someone, when I'm on the street or if I'm in a classroom, and an individual brings up the subject, the subject, the subject, the yeah, Septuagint. What is the best and quickest response to refute that uh, that uh, claim? Well, like I told you, you go back. Uh, how how can uh, the Greek Septuagint was created for Jews uh, in bondage and Hellenized in Egypt under Ptolemy II Philadelphia. There was no Bible back then. How can you, you can take that story, how can uh, uh, six scholars from from each, from uh, from the 12 tribes of Israel come there and make up 72 scholars to translate a a Hebrew Bible into Greek. That right there, the story. You can you you have to take that and you can uh, with that story you frame your answers to people. I gave you the information, so you frame it your way. Well, when when they come up to you with this, then you can bring out what you have framed about uh, uh, the Greek Septuagint. But you have to study that, you see, and then it's up to you to frame that. I've already, I got my own way of framing it. You, you follow me? What I'm saying? I follow you. I follow you. This is a general question. Uh, thank yeah, you, sir. So it's up to you. You you can take you can you got all you got a whole lots of information to dispute that. When you study it, it's, it's going to tell you all of that. Give you all the information you want to dispute it. Anything else? No, sir. Thank you. Brother Bourne, any other? Uh, anybody else want to, got a question? Um, I don't have a question right now. I'm just listening. Who is this? This is my queen from Connecticut. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't have a question. I'm just listening now. You just watch with that? I said I don't have a question anymore. I'm just listening now. Okay, great. I'm glad to have you on. Thank you. Love you, my dear. All right. Any other questions? Yes. Um. This is Shamala from Connecticut. Um. I do have a question about when you were speaking about the um, pineal gland, and you said about um. No one, you know, African or European and all the other regions that doesn't know where we, doesn't know how we got here. Um, no one can tell us about the, um, uh, about history. Okay. No one can tell you when the first man or first woman first appeared on earth. No one can tell you. No African. See, our African, in our African community, uh, they are making claims that we, as African people, are the first people on earth. You can't prove that. Don't ever, right. See, see what I'm saying? Don't ever let nobody tell you that. Right. And, and you went into detail about, you know, no one can say, like, uh, if the sky was blue and, and 
and the colors, you know, things to that nature and stuff. No, I'm saying that no one can tell you what creates the sky, the uh-huh. air, the stars, the planet, the moon, the sun, air, earth, water, vegetation, animals, and humanity. No one can tell you that. That's part of creation. Okay? You don't know how that got up there. What created that to, uh, and put that up there and made all these things I just mentioned? You don't know that. Why? Because you don't know how you got here as a human being. So how can you tell me about what, what created the sky and the stars and the planet and the moon and the sun and animals, vegetation, animals, and, and earth and, and, and humans and so forth? You can't say that. You don't know how you got here. Only by your mother and father having a sexual intercourse. Your, your father's sperm landed on your mother's egg and caused a process for your development for nine months in her body. At the end of nine months, you came out. But you don't know, how, you don't know when your eyes came into being, your feet appeared, within that nine months of incubation, or your arms, you don't know anything about that. So you, how, if you don't know about yourself, how can you tell me about what creates the, the sky and the stars and the moon and the planet and the sun and so forth and so on? So you can't make your claim, nobody can make the claim that we as an African people, it sounds good, but we don't need that no more. That we are the first people on planet Earth. No, we're the first civilized people on planet Earth. Now, you can prove that. Why? How can you prove that? By our ancestors creating the alphabet. That's your proof. person asks you, how do you know that the ancient Egyptians were the first and oldest civilized people on the planet? Because they created an alphabet. And if you can find another people living any place on planet Earth that had an alphabet before the ancient Egyptians, they would be the oldest people. So that's that's what I was saying about that. Okay. You got it, my dear? Yes, yes, I do. Thank Any you. other questions? Um, no, not yet. Not yet, no. Okay. Thank you. Love you. Thank you. Love you too. Okay. Brother Bond? Excuse me, yes, sir. Assistant Committee line is open. Okay. My Art Hotel, Baba Williams. My Art Hotel, Sister Camille, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Um, I want to thank you for um, giving us your time, uh, sharing your wealth of knowledge with us. It's, again, wonderful class tonight, this evening, and I'm just grateful to be a part of it. And how, how are you? I'm doing fine as usual. That's my... People ask me, how do you, how you feel, my brother? Fine as usual. <laughs> I like to normally I like this throwing black tastic. That's my little thing I do on the side. Oh wow! Okay, all right. That sounds good. <laughs> sounds good. And another thing, uh, Sister McKay, you coming to my lecture in New York, right? You said February the 18th, if memory serves correct. Right, correct. Uh, and then I think Brother Bourne is going to come in from Connecticut, and it's other other people. Uh, live in Connecticut, want to come, you, uh, Brother Bourne, you bring them in. But anyway, I'm going to say, uh, don't leave the lecture because uh, uh, all my class, uh, 
to the lecture, we're going to have dinner or something. We're going to eat after the lecture is over. That would be wonderful. So I'm really excited. Yeah, I want you all to run with me. If uh, it's okay I'll with you all, to have the time, you know. I would be um, grateful, uh, honored. Are you kidding me? Um, a dream come true. Okay, well then you're gonna you're gonna be our my guest, me and my wife. It would be my pleasure. Now, um, let me ask you this. Then you yes. Get into your question. Is Junior still still uh, have a restaurant on, on Flatbush? Junior's. Junior's restaurant. Yeah. Yes, it's still there. How's the food? Pretty good. Still good. I, I haven't been there in a very long time. Okay, well, I really don't. Um, I do most of my own cooking. I'm I'm a little funny nowadays. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, my wife, uh, we do the same thing, you know. But in <laughs> you know, I go out once in a while, but you know, so no, I haven't been there in, in quite some time now. Okay. Well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do something. We're gonna eat somewhere. We're gonna Whatever break. you say, be my honor again. So. And my honor would be with you too, my dear. So you have a question? I do because uh, you know, as usual you always um blow my mind. Um you had mentioned and you had mentioned this before that um the Greeks come into Egypt uh three twenty um excuse me, three thirty two BC the first time with Alexander the Greek, excuse me. Is that the first time that our ancestors in antiquity are encountering those people that are called Europeans today. And why? Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no. Uh, you go first, Baba, and then I'll. No, no, no. I want you to go, ladies, the first. Go ahead. Finish oh. up, sweetheart. Why, thank you. Um, well, why I'm asking that is because, you know, um, in other works, you know, I've, I've, I've read how you've had uh, the. Expeditions of Ramses II, for example, uh, uh, Atmos the first, you know, uh, even <clears throat> excuse me, even the ancestor um, Queen Hatshepsut. So I'm um, I'm trying to get that together because it, could it be that that's uh, I don't I'm going to say made up history. I, I don't know, Baba Wood. Okay, I want you to set that aside in your life. The reason why I'm saying that we're going to come to that, see, you're talking about the chronologies of ancient Egypt. Those stories are in the chronologies of ancient Egypt. Okay? So I'm going to clear up that confusion when we get into the chronologies of ancient Egypt. Because the, uh, the ancient Egyptians did not create a chronology for themselves, or create a history for themselves. The Europeans created that chronology with Hatshepsut, suit, Akhenaten, Tut, Ramesses, and so forth. So uh, I'll, uh, we're going to get to that and clear that up for you. So you're, you're running a little ahead now. So just be cool. Okay. Standing the foot. Well, and I would. We, <laughs> we'll clear all that up. Okay? Because in my, my, my new book coming out, I have a warning. I have a section of my second chapter in there is a warning to all African scholars, teachers, intellectuals, and students 
do not use the chronology of ancient Egypt. Why? Because the ancient Egyptians never wrote a chronology or a history of themselves. If you if if you have a chronology of ancient Egypt that the ancient Egyptians created, then you produce it. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about uh, this is what I have in the book. Then you can produce it. Okay. But the chronology of ancient Egypt was written by Western academia. Listen to this, my sister, using the Bible to do that. And what they did, they 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 created their chronologies, um, and they used real humans to intersperse their chronologies. You see, now the first chronology that I presented in, my, in, in this new book is from a book that was printed in 1868. And that chronology started off with the first king of Egypt being Mezram. Oh, they made a mistake when they put Mezram in there. In parenthesis, they put Menes, M-E-N-E-S. Mezram is the son of Ham in the Bible. Ham is the son of Noah. Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, who made up the family and table of nations in the Bible. And Mezram was the son of Ham who changed his name to Egypt. This is how the story goes. So they got, they've got the first pharaoh of ancient Egypt, the first king of Egypt, is Mezram. Made a mistake. And then, in that first chronology, they said the first dynasty was uh, uh, 2188 B.C. Okay? And then, in that first chronology I'm presenting, uh, every time they get to a new dynasty, they'll tell you where in the Bible you can find what they what you just read. Okay? Then, the second chronology comes out of a book, A History of Egypt by James Henry Breasted. James Henry Breasted is considered... Um, uh, the first American Egyptologist. No such thing as an Egyptologist, because if you're an Egyptologist, tell me, uh, speak the language that the ancient Egyptians spoke. Tell me how the Great Pyramids was built. Then you're an Egyptologist. But anyway, uh, he comes out in his book, A History of Egypt, with a chronology that's dating with 3400 B.C. Okay? With the first king of Egypt, the first being Menes, they dropped Mezram now. See? But it's too late then. The cat's out of the bag. And I saw the cat coming out of that bag. See? So anyway, uh, we're going to get to these chronologies. So set that aside. And uh, that's what I have to say about that right now. Okay, so and from your standpoint, the first time the Europeans come into um, North Africa, Northeast Africa, Egypt, is that 332 B.C. date. Well, that's what I taught you in the first class. Yes, and because, you know, um, and, and it's so why I say what you are um, teaching us is groundbreaking is because this information um, that I just mentioned, which I'm going to put to the side, 
comes out of other uh, ancestors' work, like uh, Sheikh Antadia. That's that's where um, his civilization of barbarism, and then that uh, in Ivan Van Sertima's Egypt Revisited, he has a, a, a copy of what he says is supposed to be a painting out of the tomb of Ramses um, Third. And you know what you say um, is, it, I see come true in this because when you see the description of it, um, getting to the part where it's supposed to be. Uh, white people in this, it says Indo-Europeans in parentheses, uh, Caucasoids or the Semites. And see, when I hear that, when that Semite come in, that come, then I get keyed into what I've learned from you so far and from reading your work again. That you know, it's, I, I don't want to disrespect the ancestors' work, but you know, it's clear that they're getting it from these lying Europeans, such as James Breasted that you mentioned. Thank you, Barbara Williams, for your time. Yeah, yeah but hold, hold on just a moment, my Sorry. sister. Hold on, sister. Hello, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, hold on. Yeah, you see, there's so much misinformation out here that just hang with me. We're going to clear all this up. This is where the confusion come in. You see, I told you in our first class, European history does not start until they came around our ancestors. And our ancestors documented the, the, the history because they had a writing system. They were literate. See, to document history, history consists of time, people, places, events, and literature. The literature is used to, to document time, people, places, and events. So the European first came on the scene of history. Around our ancestors, that's when his clock began to tick for him as being on the scene of history, 332. You see? So now, uh, Diops, I love Diops. He's, you know, fine scholar, so forth and so on. But there's a lot of things in his writings that I take issue with. Okay? And I'll just leave that there. Diops, if I remember, was a Muslim. Okay? So therefore, knowing all this history and so forth, how do you be a Muslim? Mm-hmm. Chancellor Williams was a Roman Catholic Christian. Did you know that? Uh, yes, check. Yeah. Chancellor Williams was a Roman Catholic Christian. He put out the destruction of black civilization. In my book on the repudiation of the Hyksos, I had to point out Chancellor Williams three times in, in that chapter. Chancellor Williams used the chronology of ancient Egypt to write his book, The Destruction of Black Civilization. I went through this book, uh, page by page, looking, chapter by chapter, to make sure this, that this is what he did. But he was a Roman Catholic Christian. How can you, knowing history, supposedly, you're a Christian? How can you do that? You <laughs> so, George G.M. James, Stolen Legacy, right? 
a Christian. I didn't know that. My good friend, Asa Hilliard. You you know Asa Hilliard? Yeah, yes. He's a Christian. My good friend, I loved him. He's a Christian. Mm. Oh, Francis Chris Wilson. Love her. A Christian. No. Hey. I got it from her sister. When I went to her memorial right here in Chicago, because she's from Chicago, and I was wondering, how can you talk about white supremacy and go there and bow down before a dead white man on a cross and go into a church which this church symbolizes and howls the symbol and the icon and the image of white supremacy is in all Christian churches throughout America and throughout the world. That's the house of white supremacy. Now, I'm not knocking nobody. I love Francis Chris. But those things I had to bring out. I can't, I'm not criticizing her, but I have, our community needs to know that. Okay? I agree. So it hurts. It hurts for. It is hurtful, but that is that's reality. That's facts. So you hold that what you're talking about comes out of of the chronology of ancient Egypt. There's no Shabaka or no Pianke and all that kind of stuff. That's biblical stuff. And these so-called um, uh, events of imperialism made up. Like what? What do you call an imperialism? Uh, like Ramses the Second, his ex, his campaign where he's supposed to have uh, taken um, um, army from here to the the new river, you know, from Egypt, you know, conquering. So the, these are Europeans basically making up our history and giving it to us. Hey, you got it. Mm. Guess what, sister? In making up this history, they're trying to make our ancestors, ancient Egyptians, uncivilized like they are. Our ancestors were civilizers and not terrorizers. You cannot civilize, be a civil, a, a teacher, person, civilization, and then you're going to terrorize and bust them upside the head at the same time. And kill them and rape their women, cut off their culture, uh, take their land over, confiscate their their natural resources and all that kind of stuff. You don't do that. Our ancestors are not savages. They were civilized people. You cannot create a, a civilization that they created over there. Read the, the chapter, the, the introduction to my book, The Historical They didn't create all that, all that uh, statues and uh, monuments and pyramids and sphinx and uh, alphabet and music and and, and 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 mathematics and all that and and, and go around killing people. They don't do that. The Europeans are trying to make our people have the same spirituality that they have. Don't let them do that. So you, you're there. You, 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 something didn't set right with you. And 
And that's what ha- that's what it happened. I told you they created uh, uh, the chronology of ancient Egypt, interspersing actual human beings in that chronology, such as Ramesses, such as Agnaton, such as Hepsisut, uh, uh Tut, King Tut, and, and so forth and so on. You see? So, no, don't let them do that to us. I'm not going to let that, them do that. Stopping it. See? So, uh, that's the reason why I had to call out uh, Chancellor Williams in, uh, in, in my book about writing the uh, destruction of black civilization. He used the chronology of ancient Egypt. There's never been no Hyksos invasion of ancient Egypt. There's been only one invasion of ancient Egypt, and that was by Alexander the Greek coming into Egypt. Only one. That's it. This other stuff, no. Uh-uh. Thank you so much, Papa Williams. I, okay, I my, am so grateful. Thank you. I'm grateful that you are part of our class. Thank you so much, my sister, and I do love you. I love you as well. And if Brother Griffith is not on the line, one of the things I love that he do, he always wishes well to your queen, and I like to do that as well. Thank you so I much, my dear. Thank you so much. Thank you. to meeting you in person. Have a good night, and thank you for your time. Thank you. I'm looking forward to meeting you and seeing you uh, along with the other students that may come to my lecture in New York. Right. Well, Brother Griffith is on the line. Brother Griffith? Got on about two minutes after I said something about him. Oh, oh when, uh, uh, when the class began, you mean? Yeah, when the class began, him and Brother Rahe Ruth. Okay, great. My two brothers. Hey, brothers, how you all doing? Hold on, I'm going to let Okay, who, who's coming first? Brother Griff right there coming in. Griff. Yeah, the hotel. Brian Hotel, Bible Williams, see you and your queen. Thank you so much, my brother. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you was powerful tonight, uh, Baba. You dropped some heavy, even before you went into the uh, historical information, the breakdown of the, my ITN uh, system with the uh, reciprocity, reap what you sow. Right. Those, those, those principles are very important. What I love about you, uh, Baba, is several things, but one of the main ones is you don't, you're not just, you're not just, from what my perspective, you're not just uh, studying the history of our ancestors in order to regurgitate and, and, and debate, but I see you actually um, implementing the principles in your everyday life, like you live by them. That's correct. That's correct. And yeah. don't ever let nobody tell a read uh, tell you that our ancestors were uncivilized with armies invading and this and taking over this shit. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. Our ancestors uh, practiced the underlying principles of mayot, truth, justice, peace, love, and wisdom. That's what they were guided by. So if I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm the descendant of those Africans who lived in Egypt, in the continent of Africa, I'm a dead descendant. So I practice and try to practice mayot, truth, justice, peace, love, and wisdom. Okay? Yes, That's the reason why I'm, I'm giving. I don't, I don't take from my African community. I don't take from you all. I don't ask 
you and nobody else in the African community for money. I don't want your money, okay? I'm not doing this for money. I'm not writing a book and books for money, okay? I'm writing my books and information for one race of people, my people in the African community who has suffered in ignorance by them being trained in the school system in America that we go uh, and so-called receive our education from, which is we receive our miseducation. So uh, into my 42nd year, that don't mean that I know everything. I don't know everything. I will never, ever know everything. There's no person can live a lifetime to know everything. I only know one person who knows everything. That's a fool, a damn fool at that. But go ahead, Brother Griff. Okay. Now, I'm glad I tuned in, though, because I started in, like, you know, I was running a little late, and I was like, I could probably just listen to the show. I was like, now nah, let me get up in there, even if I come a little late. So I'm right. pretty cool with you. Um, the first question is, um, the system of my aunt, now, understanding was created by our African, ancient Egyptian ancestors. So my thing is, like, a lot of times, this is a cultural system. Does this system apply to people outside of African uh, ethnicity? Can you apply this to the European? They won't accept it. Our ancestors been trying to civilize the European for 2,349 years. He, he refused to do that. You see him every day on television. He refused to do that. He, he takes food stamps out of poor people, children that go to bed hungry. He don't give a damn. He goes and kill people like going eating a, a, a dinner or something. Okay? He kill you and then go and eat and have a dance and carry on. He lynched our ancestors after he came from church. They had a picnic while our ancestors was being lynched from the damn tree. Okay? Mm-hmm. He put us into slavery. It's uncivilized. He lynched us. He Jim Crowed us. Did all of these things. Okay? He's still doing it. He don't get it. You don't have to do that. He goes he goes with his army and he goes around the country. He has terrorized every inch of this earth that we call Earth. And every human living therein, including himself. He'll terrorize his own self. Yes, sir. You see that? Mm-hmm. So we have been our ancestors tried to Teach him how to be a civilized person. He don't want to be that. It's not in his DNA. There's something wrong with him. He's a psychopath. I'm not criticizing him on something that I'm thinking of against him. This is what this is his record. He made this record. I didn't make his record. Sure. You got that? He used, now listen to this, he used the foundation of our ancestors' culture. Because when you uh, you walk past a building or a house, every building has a foundation to it. But do, you don't see that foundation. You see the building built on top of that foundation. Without that foundation that building is built on, that building will fall. 
of a collapse. The foundation, he used our ancestors' foundation to build himself a system. Okay? He built himself a system based off of lies, deceit, murder, injustice, corruption, greed, terrorism, militarism, sexism, racism, slavery, exploitation, drugs, violence, plunder, rape, hate, white supremacy, religion, mythology, and perverted scholarship. That's his foundation that he built. Okay, that's it. But you, the foundation, he he built him an institution using our ancestors, the ancient Egyptian foundation, but he tried to erase us out of, and away from that, uh, uh, off of that foundation by trying to erase us by reducing us from, from a pharaoh to a negro. And the negro, what did he do with it? He put him into slavery. And and create a white supremacy court called the, the Supreme Court. In 1857, Roger Brooks Tanney, who was the head of the white supremacy court known as the Supreme Court, in 1857, he said that Negroes were not citizens of the United States of America, so therefore could not bring suit in federal court in the state of Missouri he ruled against that decision was made against Dred Scott. Secondly, he said that Negroes had no rights that a white man had to respect. Thirdly, he said that Negroes were so far inferior that he should never ever be allowed to associate with the white race. I be damned. I be damned. See that? So, so now... We are finding our way back to ancient Egypt. And we are claiming our greatness that's lying in the continent of Africa. Why? Because we have been taught away from it in the school system. I told you they gave me a book, Little Black Sambo. That was my history. Okay? So that's what I have, some of the things I have to say today. But go ahead, Brother uh, Griff. Having Having said that, um seems like uh, in order to be able to 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 recalibrate or I'm saying or my ATN vibration, we're gonna have to pretty much, you know what I'm saying, engage in a, you know, confrontation. Engage in what? Seems like in order for us to be able to obtain back what was stolen from us we're going to have to deal with, with, with those who, who, who have committed these injustices against us. Would you think the system of my eye would hold us in any type of contempt for having it return, restore the balance? No, you, you, no, 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 no. You don't have to have no confrontation with nobody. You just mm-hmm. change your, you just learn something. See, yes, you, 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 you are going outside of your, your training in school. You are okay. now in the University of Walter Williams. Yes, sir. You, I had to, I had to train, I had to learn and teach my own self. You had to mm-hmm. learn, you and teach things on your own, find things on your own. We don't have to have no confrontation with no white folk. All mm-hmm. we have to do is change our minds. Yes, sir. 
Yeah, hold it. You're telling me a lie. I don't, I'm not going for that no more. You're telling me that I'm a Negro. No, I'm not a Negro. I'm not black. I'm not African-American. But we're going to get into that. I'm going to show you what they did to, for us when they named us Negro. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you what they did, mm-hmm. which could be a good thing. But now uh, we don't let nobody name us. We know who we are. We've learned our history about our ancestors. Oh, we don't have to confront nobody with that. No, no, I'm, I'm speaking in terms of them being in control of the, some of the wealth and resources of our land over in those, those areas in Africa. The only way that you, we could, we're going to have to replant ancient Egypt in the United States of America. Replant it. Because we're all over the descendants are right here in America. 44 to 50 million of us right here. So we're going to have to replant ancient Egypt. First, we're going to replant it in in your own humanity first. Then you can go outside of humanity and and create a culture, but it has to be based, it has to do it in in, in America. Okay? We cannot get back into the country of Egypt unless we go there and start bombing and killing people. That's not in our spiritual consciousness. Mm-hmm. We don't even own a hairpin factory. We're not uh, fighters and so forth and so on. Okay? We are mm-hmm. peaceful people. We don't have that in our DNA. So in order to, to, to get back ancient Egypt, you're going to have to take it physically. You're going to have, there's blood going to be shed, death, people are going to have to die and all that kind of stuff. Yes, you need money to do all that. You see, so uh, we're going to have to mark that off. We, we, we resurrect Egypt, ancient Egypt, inside of each and every one of us. That's what we have to do. Okay. And we'll take it. Go ahead. Would you want to say something else? No, I'm okay. I'm waiting for you. Okay. Now, I was saying, like, <clears throat> so as I was analyzing some of this, the, the things we were discussing from like the, uh, the two prior classes almost seems as this is this is a continuum as far as um, the uh, them coming in trying to become deified using our spiritual systems um, <clears throat> usurping the intellectual spiritual um, um, energy of our people and them still trying to maintain a position of dominance, whether it be psychological, you know what I'm saying, mentally, physically, spiritually. Well, but also, man. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying, it seems like when you when you had articulated that, and as I analyzed that, was just, it was maybe a few days ago, I'm like, damn, like, basically it's almost like we're still, in that, we're still fighting that same war with them still using the same images of, so-called Jesus Christ was like you said is pretty much just serrated. From that time period, I'm still trying to impose that type of psychological warfare on us to this day. So, well, they can do that because we we they've been taught us away from ancient Egypt. Yes, sir. So you know, so that's done on purpose. So we're gonna get into all all that's gonna clear up when we get into uh, what we're beginning to get into now about the the creation of. The image called Jesus Christ and the creation of the Virgin Mary and how the uh, how the foundation of, uh, of of Christianity came about. All that's going to be 
explain to you as we go along from class session to class session. And when the seed of Christianity moved out of Northeast Africa into Europe, that's when things began. But anyway, hold on, brother. We're going to get there. And my last little thing, I'm going to fall back. When you was talking about your your wife, and uh, when she came to you, she said she wanted to tell you who God is. And she, how'd you how'd you take that when she broke it down to you in that type of dynamic? How'd you, how'd it was right. I, I had to say she was right. Uh huh. Was that the first time you had heard that type of uh, you know depiction, that description of what God? Did you think she was about to tell you something like some old off the cuff Christianity stuff? No, no, no. Uh, oh, no, my wife is not a Christian, so she wasn't going to do that. Yeah. Did she surprise you with a response, or, did, or what? You expect her to say what she said? Well, I, I, don't, I, I, didn't, I didn't know what she was going to say, but I, I know she's going to say the right thing. <laughs> yes, sir. She knows, she knows history now. Yes, sir. Okay. She's a damn good historian. Yes, sir. So she was one of them. One of my students, that's when I had my uh, institute, you know. But anyway, um, no, I, that, I understood what she was saying. She says, um, you know, God is a, a creator. God is what? What did she say? Tell me. I must be getting tired. No, he was just telling you basically it's, it's, it's just a religious thought that you give power to, you give your spiritual energy to, which brings it to life. Right. In other words, God is uh, is an abstract abstract idea that needs human spirituality to give it life. She was right. That's all you do every time you go to church. That's what what the, what the, what, the, what what our people are doing, giving that image their spiritual life, so they end up in the church, power a powerless people to give all their power away. All right, I ain't going to burn you down. I appreciate you. I love you. My okay, I love you too, my brother. May I hold tap to you? Okay. Brother Lauren? Yes, sir. Any more? Uh, yes, sir. We got the last one, brother. Last but not least is brother Raheem Roo. Brother Raheem Roo. May I hold tap to you? My brother, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm all right. Um, I just wanted to ask two questions, if you can. Sure. Short. Um, there was a point where you were breaking down the point of the ancient Egyptians and how when Ptolemy the first, the soldier known as Lagi or the Savior, um, came and he couldn't get accepted into the Egyptian uh, society or Egyptian priesthood, for that matter, because of the fact that they didn't raise a breed, would it be fair to be able to use that as knowledge as saying that that's why the rape and the pillage and torture of the ancient Egyptian men, women, and children took place? You said, is that when that happened, you mean? Yes, because we look at the woman as being something sacred. Well, see, after the uh, totally one laggy, uh, couldn't get his image accepted after the, the, the Temple in Memphis, Egypt, made and gave him the name of Osirapus and Serapus and made, supposedly made him into a god. They would not accept him and, and, and his image into their sacred society to be, uh, 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 let's say, to be honored along with Osiris, Isis, and Horus. They, they were allowed to do that. So 
by them not allowing him to do that, he closed down all the temples all over Egypt. And they confiscated all of those divine manuscripts, and they housed them into this temple in Memphis, Egypt. So our ancestors had to take to their houses to continue their culture and and to homeschool their children. So um, that's how that was done. Now, what was your question again? I guess I'm getting tired. When you had said that they wouldn't accept him, when you said the the ancient Egyptians wouldn't accept Ptolemy Lagi, the first, or Soda, whatever last name um, you want to give the sicko, is it fair to say that because they wouldn't allow the sharing of the woman as far as to breed with them? No, Uh, I won't say that. Go ahead. Is that why the savageness of what happened to our ancestors happened? Well, no, uh, the, the savagery is in the European. He's a savage. I told you for 300, I mean, for 249 years, we've been trying to make this European a civilized human being. He refused to accept it. Okay. My second question would be that when you broke down and you said that his goal or his standard or underneath his dynasty was that to raise the dead, would it be that how he's used as the figure in the comic book story of religion to be the character that he is? Is it fair to say that when people put their spiritual energy into the resurrecting the spirits of these evil, corrupted individuals, that at that point you're giving them so much of your essence that in fact you're giving them life. Of course, that's what it is. I've been saying that all along. When you go to church, you sit down and you worship this dead white man on the cross, you're giving away all your energy to him, your spiritual power. That's the same thing that I've been telling you all along that you just said. <clears throat> that's true. That makes the individual powerless. So we've become a powerless people. We've got to sit around and beg the white male for everything. Because we're going to give away all our power. So when you look at religion and you look at that being passed down by he who calls himself Lord of the land has the right to enforce his belief upon the people, it's fair to say that they're using it as a weapon, as a tool, because if you give that much of yourself to that you actually are giving them power because you're basically rendering yourself as nothing. Of course. That's what I've been saying all along. But we're going we're gonna, to, as, as we move forward into this study and, and subject that we're studying, you, all that will be cleared up for you. Thank you. Especially when that seed of Christianity go into Europe. That's where the, the drama, a lot of that drama starts. But it's going to start all through I'll study this. I'm going to take into those ecumenical council meetings. Thank you. I'm going to keep my question short. Okay, uh, my brother. Extend it to the next class. Thank you. Thank okay, you, and thank you for being in our class. And, and may I hold up to you, my brother, and uh, my love to you also. Thank you, Bob. All right, Bob. Well, that's the uh, last person on the line. Okay. Yeah. 
I guess any homework that you want to give out, you can go ahead and give that to us, and then we'll move on and get ready for the next for our next meeting next Tuesday. Okay. Well, this, like I said, uh, uh, research that Septuagint and the Latin Vulgate, okay. and and you, the information that you gather from those two subjects will give you the understanding of the Latin Vulgate and give you the understanding of the Greek Septuagint because it's out there in academia. And you, don't know, you never know who's going to bring it up to you, so I want you to have knowledge of it. Yes, sir. And getting back to Brother Menkara, then you can, anything, any information I give you, learn it and and you can frame it the way you can frame it that's best for you. But I want you to learn these things. I want you to take class. Everybody in class, I want you to not only listen to what I'm telling you, I want you to take it in and internalize it and, and, and remember dates now. you got to remember dates. Very important. you got to remember time, the dates, people, places, and events. See? you got to know that. you got to have it inside of you. Cannot run no place when you're talking to somebody to bring up a subject that you know something about. You got to run to your notes. Ain't gonna be no time to run no notes. You got to be there on the spot and chalk your stuff from from your from your uh, from your studies that you remember about the subject. See, so I'm teaching you all not from notes. I'm teaching you from what I have internalized over my 42 years of studying. You know, so. Anyway, uh, class, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad and honored and humbled that you'll uh, uh, allow me to be your teacher. Um, I just, I'm really thrilled at that. And for those who are going to come to the lecture in New York, I think Brother Bourne and some others is going to be there. I'm looking forward to seeing you. And anybody in Connecticut in the class that wants to come, maybe – Brother Bourne, you live in Connecticut, right? Sure. So they want to, how are you coming down? Uh, right now, I haven't, I haven't decided whether or not it would be the train or be by car. That just depends upon weather more than likely, but I haven't decided yet. Okay. Yep. If, if you decide to come by a car, maybe they can ride with you. Or either you can ride in their car if you're coming from Connecticut, you know. But anyway, you all can work that out. And uh, like I said, uh, 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 Looking forward to seeing you in New York, and then we're going to hang out together and, and break bread. Yes, sir. Okay? Yes, so sir. I, I, I love you guys. I appreciate you all. And I really enjoy myself teaching you all. And I'm proud and glad that you all are learning and growing. I want you to grow. And we're going to continue to grow because I'm going to give you the information for you to grow. Okay? So, uh, until next Tuesday, may I hold you up? Love you guys. I'm out. All right. Oh, okay. We go out with a praise and turn the glory to Garvey, along with the spirit of Dr. Khaled Abdul Muhammad. Praise having the tell glory to Ida B. Wells, along with the spirit of Sister Fanny Lohan. Be before the end.
You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed.